0: Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. O Lord my God, Thou searchest me. My heart and mind are known to Thee. Nothing is hidden from Thy eyes when I sit down and when I rise and from afar Thou art discerning my thoughts and hopes, my secret yearning. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Amen. i like to... Welcome you all to our Perseverance family. It's great to be with you in this Christmas octave, Christmas season, as well as this beautiful day in which we celebrate the Feast Day of the Holy Family. So as always, we'd like to start off our conversation by inviting Mary to be with us. Mary is the Mother of God. Mary is the mother of the church. And Mary is also the mother of each and every one of us. In the Hail Holy Queen, we cry out to Mary in these words, Hail Holy Queen, Mother Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. So let's uh, turn to Mary and ask Mary to be with us as we say the prayer that she loves most. It's the Hail Mary. Hail Mary full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou, among women, and blessed the fruit of thy Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Now let's invite our spiritual director to be with us. What a blessing it is to have as our spiritual director, the Holy Spirit. He's known as the paraclete. He's also known as the gift of gifts. The Holy Spirit is also known as the sweet guest of our souls through baptism. Holy Spirit is also known as the sanctifier. He who makes us holy. The Holy Spirit we also know him as the Counselor. He's the one that will give us good advice. Holy Spirit is also known as the Consoler. In the midst of so many trials and tribulations in our life, the Holy Spirit is there to give us a lot of, a lot, uh, just a lot of consolation. A lot of consolation in the midst of the trials, the tribulations, the contradictions of life. St. Paul reminds us that we don't know how to pray as we ought, but good news. The Holy Spirit intercedes with ineffable groans. Groans so that we can say Abba. Abba, which means Poppy, or Father, or Daddy. So let's ask the Holy Spirit to give us a lot of light, a lot of peace, a lot of joy. We say the prayer that invites the Holy Spirit to be with us. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle within us the fire of your divine love. Send forth your Spirit and they shall be created and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who did instruct the hearts of your faithful, but led the Holy Spirit, grant us by the same Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Lady Fatima, pray for us. Saint Joseph, pray for us. Saint Michael the Archangel, pray for us. Saint Gabriel, pray for us. Saint Raphael, pray for us. St. Ignatius of Loyola, pray for us. St. Faustino, pray for us. All God's angels and saints, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Well, we wish you all a very... Merry Christmas and Merry Octave of Christmas and Happy Feast Day in which we celebrate the Feast Day of the Holy Family today and I was able to find in my studio here a statue a depiction of the Holy Family and you have Mary with the child Jesus and Saint Joseph and this would be the flight into Egypt when King Herod plans to kill the child and they flee into Egypt to save the child's life. Here's a nice graphic depiction of the Holy Family in flight. So I'd like to offer special prayers for you on this beautiful Sunday in which we honor the Holy Family of Jesus, Mary and Joseph my prayers for you will be the following that we would try to imitate the holiness of the Holy Family the holiness of the Holy Family that's our always our first intention that we strive to arrive at holiness of life that's really what God wants for us he wants us not to be mediocre or lukewarm We're a half-baked Catholic, but to be a Catholic that is on fire with the love of God. So that's uh, my first intention for all of us, reminding us of the words of Christ. Be holy as your Heavenly Father is holy. My next intention would like to pray for your family on this Feast Day of Holy Family, I'd like to pray for your family, your loved ones, that all of you would strive to fortify your families through the bond of mutual love. Because of all the virtues, love is the greatest of all virtues. That there may exist in your families that bond of love. The last commandment that Jesus gave to the apostles and He gave to us also, Jesus said, was actually at the Last Supper. He gave His last and greatest commandment and it was, love one another as I have loved you my third intention as I place you on the altar of my mass today as I celebrate the feast day of holy family placing you on the altar in the mass I'd like to pray that we would all have a great desire, inner yearning to pray more and to pray better that's right to both to pray more and to pray better all of us being keenly aware of the fact that our sanctification in life our becoming good parents in life depends large part upon the tenor the tenor, (coughs) the quality of our prayer life in a certain sense we are who we are related to our prayer life because our prayer life is our relationship with God and if our relationship with God is weak then that's going to impinge and affect our relationship with others and even with ourselves so I pray that we would have a A real hunger and thirst for a deeper, deeper prayer life. St. Teresa of Avila gives us this advice. We learn how to pray by praying. Common sense. We learn how to do anything by practice. Practice makes perfect. That can be applied to our prayer life also. So my friends, today we celebrate Holy Family. Here's a tricky question for you. Here's a tricky question for you. Is there such thing as a perfect family? Is there such thing as a perfect family? And I would say, yes, and there there are three perfect families. It's not yours nor mine. But there are three perfect families. The first perfect family would be this, the family we call the holy family, which consists of father, a mother, and a child. His holy family is Jesus, Mary, and St. Joseph. The perfect child, the perfect father, and the perfect mother. They are models for all of us. The holy family. Second, there is another perfect family. Are you ready? Here we go. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'll do that again. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I just made the sign of the cross. By making the sign of the cross, I mention three persons. And those three persons are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit father loves the son, the son loves the father, and the mutual bond of love between the father and the son is the Holy Spirit. a uh, family, perfect family, is a, a community of love and sharing. The father loves the son, and the son loves the father, and the mutual bond between the father and the son is the Holy Spirit. So that indeed is a perfect family. And the third perfect family, you may be surprised when I say this, and we're all destined for this perfect family, would be heaven. Heaven, in heaven you have the angels, you have the saints, you have the holy family, you have the Blessed Trinity. We are all destined, my friends, one day to arrive safe and sound, to arrive at the perfect family. And that family is the heavenly family. There we have it. Okay, so today let's talk about the Holy Family. I'd like to present to you the readings we have for the Holy Family. And the readings we have for the Holy Family are taken first from the Old Testament. We have the book of Samuel. Hannah, in the Old Testament, wanted to have a child. And like Elizabeth, like Sarah, like the parents of Mary, she couldn't have a child. But she goes to the temple in Shiloh and she pours out her heart to God, begging for a child. And God gives her a child. And she makes a promise to God that if God gives her a child, that she will offer that child to God. Presenting that child to God in the temple. So her husband's name was Elkanah. So they present their child Samuel in the temple, and the child would be growing up side by side with the priest, his name is Eli. And this Samuel, once he becomes a man, becomes one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. He would be the one that would anoint the shepherd in the fields to be eventually the king of Israel that was David David yes was he was anointed by Samuel with oil and then the holy spirit rushed upon him the holy spirit rushed upon him so that's the uh, that's the first reading we have from the book of Samuel, a holy, it's a family that's offering themselves to God, offering their children to God in the temple. Which is symbolic of the fact that we are called also to offer to present our children in the temple through baptism and as early as possible. The responsorial psalm is taken from Psalm 84. And the antiphon is, blessed are they, blessed are they who dwell in your house, O Lord. Blessed are they who dwell in your house, O Lord. That can be interpreted in various ways. Blessed are those who dwell in the house of the Lord by going to church often. And then the other interpretation will be blessed are those who dwell in God's house in heaven forever. That is our eternal homeland that we're all heading toward. Another interpretation should be we should, be, we should feel welcome in our home. And we should be welcoming other members into our home. That people feel, experience a warm welcome our children, as well as our guests when they come to visit us. The second reading is taken from the first letter of St. John. And he says, Beloved, see what love the Father has bestowed on us that we are called children of God, and so we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children. Now, what we shall be has not yet been revealed. We do know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we shall have confidence in God and receive from Him whatever we ask. Because we keep His commandments. When this commandment is we should believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he has commanded us. Those who keep his commandments remain in him and he in them. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he gave us. Beautiful reading. It highlights that all of us are sons of God through baptism. That we are children of God. And also John speaks about the fact that we should try to put into practice the greatest of all commandments. That is, love one another as I've loved you. Love one another as I've loved you. We're talking about, my friends today, about the Holy Family. Here we have Jesus in the arms of Mary, Joseph, Mary's on the donkey, and they're fleeing from the wicked King Herod into Egypt so that the king will not kill the child. This is a depiction, one depiction among many of the Holy Family, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. So, let's move then into the gospel for the day. The gospel for today speaks about the Holy Family being united in their religious obligations. The gospel for today is one that you're pretty familiar with if you pray the rosary and it's the gospel of the fifth actually the fifth joyful mystery What do we have in this? The Holy Family, Jesus, Mary, and St. Joseph, had the custom of going to Jerusalem every year. Especially in the feast day, the the principal feast days of the Jewish people, there would be Tabernacles, Pentecost, especially the Passover. So, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, they traveled to Jerusalem. They go to the Temple of Jerusalem while they there they carry out their religious obligations, they pray, they worship God in the Temple of Jerusalem built by King Solomon then they return now this is what happens, they return to their home in Nazareth This is where Jesus was brought up and raised in the house of Nazareth with Mary's mother and Joseph, his earthly father. Now when they're returning, now it was a custom for the Jewish people when they're traveling, there would be a caravan in which The women would travel in one group. The men would travel in another group. So after a full day journey, Joseph and Mary, they meet, and they're looking at each other, asking, where is Jesus? They do not know where he is. Could have been that maybe Mary thought that Jesus was Joseph or Joseph maybe thought that Jesus was Mary. We don't really know. But he was lost. Imagine the great suffering that Mary and Joseph must have undergone. So they search for him. They search for him among the friends, the relatives, or ask, have you seen my son Jesus, who's 12 years old? It's the age when a Jewish child would make his bar mitzvah, being introduced into adulthood, kind of like our confirmation. So they're searching for him all over the place they really don't know where he is so one day transpires they don't find him the second day also finally after three days of sorrowful search it was real anguish they decide to return to the temple of Jerusalem and there in the temple of Jerusalem in the midst of the doctors of the law the experts and the law of Moses and in the bible Jesus is sitting in their midst. He's listening to them. He's teaching them. And he's asking them questions. And these doctors of the law are fascinated at the wisdom of this 12-year-old boy. Never had they ever met any child with so much wisdom as Jesus had. They are not aware that he was the son of God as of yet. But obviously there is something very special with him. So coming on the scene are Joseph and Mary. Mary enters into the scene, sees Jesus and she says, son... Why have you done this to us, your father and your... I have been looking for you in sorrow. And Jesus responds saying, Why did you look for me? Did you not know that it had to be about my father's house? Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that it had to be about my father's house, my father's business? And so they part, for their part, they did not, they did not understand, they did not understand the meaning of these words. Could not comprehend. Mary herself could not comprehend these words of Jesus, nor Saint Joseph. These were mysterious words. What about us? And I think what we'll have to say, my friends, is uh, in our lives, we will have tribulations. We will have trials. We will have setbacks. We will have enigmas. There will be many mysteries. There are many unanswered questions and as the Bible says as the heavens are above the earth so are my thoughts above your thoughts then after this it says that Jesus went with them he was subject to them he was he went with them was subject to them mainly obedient to them And it says that he, he grew in wisdom, knowledge, and grace before God and men. That is right. He grew in wisdom, knowledge, and grace before God and men. So Jesus in his, in his divine nature could not improve. But Jesus, in his human nature, he grew by knowledge, which is called experiential knowledge. He learned, Jesus learned through, through experience. He learned through experience. So here we have a depiction of the Holy Family. Let's talk now about the family in general and what what can we do, our friends? What can we do to to foster family values? As well as what can what can we do? What can we do to strengthen our own families? What can we do to foster family values as a whole? But what can we do to strengthen our own families? So let's start. I often quote one of my favorites and his name is Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen and he wrote a a book, many books actually and the name of the book is It Takes Three to Get Married takes three to get married. Who are those three? The husband, the wife, and God. I repeat, the husband, the wife, and God. Let's uh, build our conversation upon that, that statement. It takes three to get married. The husband, the wife, and God. So it has to be said from the outset that even though the modern society is presenting different models of unions between individuals. This has to be stated very clearly and even though this might be something very obvious to you it may not be obvious to to your teenage children or the young adults because of the social, political, academic milieu in which they're being raised, is that a family can only start by union of a man and a woman. This has to be said. Because in our society it's been permitted by law that there can be a same sex union between two men and two women, even though even though this is permitted by law, it really is not what God wants. We have to follow what God wants more than what society promotes and allows. This is very clear from the very first book of the Bible. The book is called Genesis, which God created male and female, God created Adam and Eve. And God said, A man will leave his father and mother, and he will be united to his wife. And what God has united, let no man rent asunder. Then the first command that God imposes upon man and woman is mul- increase and multiply what that means is increase and multiply it means have children and populate the earth. heard a commentary the other day that said that this is about the lowest we've ever had in the United States of um Children being born, some attributed to the pandemic, but also to the mentality, the contraceptive and the abortion mentality. So as we're talking about the Holy Family today, we're highlighting some key aspects on how to form good families. So a family has to start off by the union between a man and a woman. It was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. As the saying goes. But for us as Catholics, for us as Catholics, not only does the bond have to exist between a man and a woman, starting with Adam and Eve, but also but also the man and the woman cannot simply be united by a civil bond getting married by the Justice of the Peace or getting married in Las Vegas, having a simple civil marriage. Indeed, that may be recognized by the state, but it's not enough. A Catholic couple, man and woman, must have their union blessed by the sacrament of holy matrimony you know it's interesting the way society is flowing when I was brought up and raised in New York and New Jersey in the the 60s the early 70s I don't remember any of my neighbors, either in New York or New Jersey, who were just living together. All of the Catholic couples, they were married in the church. I don't remember any Catholic couple that were were simply living together. I don't remember any. We're talking about two generations ago. Then, I was a teacher in Philadelphia for one year before becoming a, before entering, going to Rome to study to become a priest. I taught in the church, the school is called Mother of Divine Providence in King of Prussia on the outskirts of Philadelphia. I was actually teaching second grade, teaching everything and preparing these kids for First Communion. I remember my 23 children in the class there was only one of the 23 that was a product of a divorce how things have changed when I arrived in California about 28 years ago I was given the responsibility to give the baptismal talks. And I would say it's probably 50 to 60 percent of the parents that came in to have their children baptized were married in the church. Maybe 50 to 60 percent. Now it's only going to be 20 to 30 percent of the parents that have their children baptized are actually married in the church. We have the pandemic of the coronavirus or the Omicron. We've got these variants, right? But there's a more serious moral, more serious moral pandemic or epidemic. It is that of sin. It's that of sin, among which one of the most prominent, pervasive, widespread sins, it's called a social sin. It's actually in the structure, the fabric of our society. Our young people today are simply, we would say, shacking up living in free union what I'm saying is not a it's not a novelty what I'm saying to you because I'm sure almost all of you have either direct or indirect experience about what I'm talking about about couples that are they're living together in cohabitation in free union sometimes they call it a trial marriage sometimes it's called a trial marriage a trial marriage try to see if it works out. You know, so we have to see if we've got chemistry. If we got chemistry. If we can really live together forever, we've got to try it out. In the meantime, they're living in the state of mortal sin. So my point here is we have to promote As parents, some of your grandparents, the whole idea of the sacrament of matrimony. The sacrament of matrimony. And once the couple does get married, exchanging the rings, they make a promise they make a promise to be faithful in good times as well as bad. It is rich in riches as well as poverty. In health as well as sickness. Until death, do you part? I repeat. Myself as a minister over marriage, I ask them, do you promise to be faithful to your spouse in good times as well as bad, in health as well as sickness, in riches as well as in poverty? until tell death to your part. And both of them say, I do, I do. Then they place their ring on their on their spouse because in that moment they're marrying each other. It's not so much the priest that marries them, but the priest is the is the witness of the marriage because they confirm they confer the sacrament on themselves. That's right, they confer the sacrament on themselves by their mutual consent. faithfulness. Let's tell you a story about marriage commitment and faithfulness. It's a story of a couple that um, that uh, were married in the church With their family struggles, as we all have them, and the uh, husband invited the priest to have dinner with them. The priest knew the husband, but he never really he never met the wife and the family. So the husband invited the priest to have dinner with him one night. The priest's car the priest's car was in the mechanic. So the husband had to go to the rectory to pick up the priest, which he did. On the way to his house, the man, we'll call him John, was praising his wife, saying, Father, I've got the best wife in the world. Attractive, intelligent, humble, sweet, kind, compassionate, just the best. I've got the best. Father, no complaints. So as they arrive at the house... John opens up the door and their greeting father was his wife. And off the bat, the priest noticed that the wife had a, a huge scar on her on the, on the right of her face. From her temple all the way down to her chin. And the priest was taken aback. He didn't say anything, but he was taken aback at this huge scar that the wife had. So they sat down at the table. At the table was John, his wife, Mary, and a little girl who was about six years old, their daughter. During the meal, it was a very pleasant meal, and the priest noticed once again how John, the husband, was so kind to his wife. Kind, loving, ready to serve, paying compliments, praising. The priest was really he was really blown away to see how much tenderness and love that John showed to his wife Mary, who had this huge scar on her face, which, have, which have obviously would have caused her a lot of suffering, physical as well as psychological, not to mention social. The little girl during the meal just had a big smile on her face. Their little daughter. So after the meal, priest saying goodbye to Mary and the little daughter, John was taking Father back to the rectory. On the way back, on the way back, With great discretion and prudence, uh, John asked, rather, Father asked John, Father, uh, John, I'd like to ask you, what what happened to your your wife's face, the fact that she has that scar? John said, sure, I'll tell you. You saw my little daughter there at the table, of course. Well, About six years ago we lived in another house the house caught on fire and in the room was my little daughter who was just a little she was just about six months old her room was on fire and my wife entered in and the actually the blankets were were surrounding my little daughter and my my wife grabbed on to the blankets and the fire actually charred and burned the whole right side of her face. Therefore, Father, I have the most beautiful wife in the world. I have the most beautiful wife in the world. What is love? What is love? Love is not a mere sentiment or just a manifestation of emotions. But love, here's the key word, love is sacrifice. And as you read in the Diary of St. Faustina, love is a willingness to suffer for the loved one. To suffer and to sacrifice yourself for the loved one. The best example we have, of course, in the world, is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who sacrificed Himself on the cross on Good Friday. Where Jesus was sacrificing himself on the cross. Sacrificing himself on the cross, pouring forth, pouring forth, my friends, every drop of his precious blood. Every drop of his precious blood for you and for me. Every drop. Every job. We poured forth for the love of you and for me. How much God loves us. But also the importance of us corresponding to love. Now all of you are living in a family. Thanks be to God. Here we have the model of the Holy Family, Jesus, Mary, and St. Joseph. All of you are living in a family. I told you I've 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 told you a, a very very powerful story of a man married to a woman in the church, in which this wife sacrificed her very life for the salvation and sake of her little daughter, and sacrificed her her physical beauty, her honor for the sake of her little daughter. When I'm doing merit when I'm doing weddings and I do many of them, I've done group weddings with more than 20 couples i marrying at the same time. <laughs> Once my dad said, are you Reverend Broom or Reverend Moon? <laughs> Remember the Moonies back in the 70s, no? I insist upon the following when I'm doing the weddings. I say the best thing that Juanito can do for Guadalupe in the formation of their marriage. The best thing that Juanito can do for Guadalupe is when Juanito is he's falling in love with God every day. That's right. That's right. Falling in love with God every day. Because if Juanito is falling in love with God every day, then that love he has for God is going to spill over on the love that he has for his wife. And the love that he has for his wife. And the best thing that Lupe, Guadalupe, can do for Juanito is when his one. When Guadalupe is falling in love with God every day. And that love affair with God is becomes a reality in Mass and Holy Communion. When we receive Holy Communion, we receive truly the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. We have, in a certain sense, a spiritual heart transplant. Every time that we receive Holy Communion. So Juan receives the love of the heart of Christ. Lupe receives the love of the heart of Christ in the Holy Communion. Because you can't give what you don't have. And that love of the heart of Christ spills over between themselves as well as Upon their children. And they're able to live out what we read in the second reading today of St. John. And John says, Love one another. Love one another. The greatest of all commandments is that of love, loving one another as Christ has loved us. So I've told you, my friends, a love story. It's not sentimental, it's not romantic. It's not overly emotional. The love story I've told you, my friend, is related to sacrifice. The best example of sacrifice is what Jesus did for us on the cross. So I'll be praying for all of you and your families today that you all be united and the love of God, and in the love of the Holy Family. I'll be placing all of you on the altar that you'll be able to live out the last and greatest commandment of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That that is, love one another as I've loved you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.